It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. Oh, holy night, the stars are brightly shining. Over the... I saw three ships come sailing in on Christmas Day, on Christmas Day. It's looking like Christmas. They're cutting down trees. Oh, that was that Kathy Cry song. Yeah. Hey, can you pull your mic just a little closer? Yeah, I can. I need, I need a better read on you. Okay. Okay, Taylor, welcome to the fourth and final week of Advent, and it was either this or. Well, you know what? While I got you here, let's look at the calendar. Okay. It's the 20th. Should we just tell people there's not going to be an episode on the 29th? I think so. Where I will not be here. I won't be here either. Where are you going? I'm going to Port Aransas. Where are you going? I'm going to Dallas. Okay, friends. You guys are going to Puerto Ranzas? Yeah. That's so fun. Thank you. This is the last episode of It Was Either This Or of 2020. What a great first year. Thanks so much, listeners, yes. for tuning in. The 29 five-star reviews we got, and those of you who sat down and wrote to us. That is our Christmas gift, and we're so excited to have it. Very meaningful. We appreciate you guys. We're back outside today. We are? My family's home. Yeah, they are. Um, Champions? Yep. Yeah. So, well, Taylor, we just have so many fun things to do today. What do you want to start with? You want oh. to start with a quiz? Sure. We usually do that after the commercial or before the commercial. Let's save the quiz. Okay. Okay. Well, um, here's the thing I want to talk about today. Okay. I did. We, we, I think brought this up at at our staff Christmas party last week. Um, I can't remember if not correct me. I'm pretty sure I talked because I usually talk to you about this stuff. Okay. All right. I feel like the war on Christmas has kind of faded. (laughs) I don't think we talked about this now. Um, well, no, no. Just give it a second. Okay. Uh, chiefly, you know, it's about whether or not we say Merry Christmas. Right. Um, I don't feel like I've heard a lot of this year. Yeah, nobody's nobody's upset about what. Now, here's a now the the one take is let's not um, force Merry Christmas because and let's be honest, certain people weaponize Merry Christmas. Yeah. They're like they use it to like um, make people feel uncomfortable. Yes. Yes. So let, let's just put that, that disposition off the table. We're not even talking about that. That's stupid. Yeah. <laughs> if you can't say happy holidays to respect somebody, we're not talking to you. Yeah. This okay. For you. I have a, help me out on this though. Okay. I did think, because there are, it seems to me two strategies to this sort of problem in the world. Okay. One is you can um, sort of come up with monolithic expressions that everybody can live to, or. Like happy holidays. Yeah. You could celebrate the diversity. Of saying, everybody confess your thing and we'll make space for all of it. Yeah. Here's my case in point. I listened to the Armchair Expert holiday special. Okay. And Josh Gad got on there. Okay. Uh, Olaf. Um, right, yeah. Also, a Book of Mormon. Yeah. I didn't know that till he was on there before. Anyhow, um, he was saying a Hanukkah song. And he's, he's married to a, a Catholic lady. He himself grew up Jewish. Okay. And I was listening to him sing, and I thought, that's just so great that I got to hear him sing his Hanukkah song. Yeah. I loved his Hanukkah song. Yeah. And I do not feel that my Christian tradition internally is threatened by celebrating his Hanukkah, Hanukkah singing. Yeah. Uh, furthermore, I was thinking this. If I go to, I better be uh, careful here. I want to make sure I get my holidays and my cultures right. Okay. Um, uh, Kwanzaa, that's uh, Africa, right? Sure, yeah. If I go to, say, a... Kwanzaa celebrating country. Uh-huh. I don't want them to pull out the red carpet and give me a Christmas experience. I want them to do Kwanzaa. Right. And I want to embrace their Kwanzaa. I want to say happy Kwanzaa with them. Yeah. So why is. why can't we all just say our non-militant confessions and Yuletide greetings yeah. in our own particular way? Yeah. That is such a great question. Like, why do I have to be offended? And I wouldn't be offended. I think I would be touched if someone was like, happy Hanukkah. Yeah. 
I want you to have a happy so Hanukkah. Much. By the way, we, we really need to fill in our biblical history from the 300 years before Jesus arrived. The inter- yeah. And what better way to do that than with the Maccabean revolt? Yeah. To learn some about Hanukkah. Yeah. I, my, my, in fact, I'll take it a step further. My Jesus Christmas tradition is um, is bolstered, mm-hmm. is is made better yeah. by a robust Hanukkah understanding. Yeah. I had to put a menorah right behind that Advent wreath. Yeah. Well, I don't know about that. But yeah. Okay. Well, you get the point. We'll see. I do get the point. Because that would be cultural appropriation. Is that why you were? Well, maybe, yeah. Okay, sorry. Don't put the menorah <laughs> up there. But but by, by goodness, be excited for Adam Sandler. Well, but I think if it's, yes. But I think if it's like a genuine, like you have found a way to work the menorah into your um, celebration as a part of a robust, like, understanding of scripture and like the work of God in the world, then I think, you know, that's a conversation worth having. But I do think I have heard that it's like, because some people do try to like work Hanukkah in, but it's like. Hmm. Kind of not great. Well, maybe Jewish was a bad example because a lot of Christians use Judaism in sloppy ways. I think. Yes. Yeah, like yeah. some. That's yeah. fair. But okay. But, but like. I do think there there are a lot of celebrations in December in the month of December. I mean, it's something like thirty or forty different like cultural celebrations between like the middle of November and the end of December. Yeah. And so. I want a, them all. I yeah. want to see it at the table, everybody, and I want to learn from everybody. Yeah, exactly. And um, so I, that's what I agree. What a great point. I just love that. And I think that... Is it the power thing? Is it that the West is powerful? What do you mean? Well, I'm trying to think why we wouldn't do that. Well, is it because like the Christmas isn't in the power player seat because this mean, is the West? I, I mean, I do think that... Um, I do forget sometimes. I do think there are people out there who still very much are like, well, they want their Christianity to be tied to political power. Yeah. And um, well, yeah, it's clear. The thing we rejected from the get go is that it's been weaponized by a certain group of people. Right. But here's now. This is where I may get may lose some people. Okay. I was thinking this, like, um, and again, I'll, I'll say whatever to whoever. I don't care. It's, yeah. I don't have a dog in the fight. Like, it's not like I'm the abomination of desolation if I say Happy Hanukkah or something. Um, no, but there's that, I, I mentioned that cause there's that stream in, in biblical theology of like, don't Im- make this impure by introducing foreign ideals. And there is certainly a strain of that in Christian evangelicalism. Right. Absolutely. Like that's why we can't say these things right, is cause yeah. the demons get in through these alternative holidays. Oh my gosh. Right but, now. um, but I could, okay. So like it, it's the part of the thing too, is let's, let's bring a sensitivity now that America's become a melting pot. And though, most of us come from a Judeo-Christian tradition where we celebrate Christmas. Mm-hmm. There are folks around here who probably get tired of hearing Merry Christmas everywhere they go. Yeah. So um, let's temper that and just say Happy Holidays to give them space to feel respect. Okay, I get the spirit of that, and I'm for that. And again, I will do that because I don't, I'm not going to, there's not a dog I'm going to fight. But uh, what about, like, if I go to, I want to pick my example. Like, uh, let's take holidays out of it. Okay. When I go to Norway, I want it to be Norway. Okay. When I go to, you know, all these places, I want it. When I go to Iran, never go there. But if I did, I don't want you to Americanize my experience with Judeo Christian expressions to make me feel good. Right. I want you to show me what your culture's like. Yeah. I don't know. Can we not say the same about this? Like, surely there's something flawed in there. So, um, I think we can. But, um, I also think that sometimes it's like, you just, what are you going to do? It'd be like, hi, hello, what holiday do you celebrate so that I can wish it to you appropriately? Sometimes it's just easier to yeah. be like, hey, happy holidays. Okay. So. Yeah. I think sometimes it's just a time-saving measure. 
Yeah. Which is like, I do think for like strangers, that's fine. Yeah. If you're in deep relationship with someone and you're just like refusing to learn about the holidays that oh, you celebrate, that yeah. doesn't seem great. Kick you to the curb. Right. <laughs> okay. Well, thanks for doing that with me. Hey, since we're on a semi-serious note, I do want to take this moment okay. to um, talk about a significant loss in your life this week. Yeah. yeah. And um, can you just tell us about your grandfather? Yes. So this week, my grandfather passed away. Um, he passed away on his on his 92nd birthday, which feels very full circle to me. Um, uh, we always called him Buddy. That's mm. what we called him. Like the elf. Just like the elf. No, nothing like the elf. <laughs> and, uh, was John Wright an attorney as well? John Wright was an attorney. He was also a state representative for the state of Texas. Um, really? And uh, like, like, like our Texas Doc Anderson. State House. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He was a Doc Anderson in the DFW area. He was, yeah. Wow. Yeah. He's really, really Did he know cool some guy. significant people? Surely he knew the governors. Yeah. Did he know Ann Richards? Um, yeah, he did know Ann Richards. Did you know Ann Richards? I, I mean, like, I met Ann Richards one time when Woo! I was little. I know. Ann Richards is so cool. That, what a great moment right. for you because she's such a cultural, yeah. I mean, give, I mean, she was a Republican, but I mean. Yeah. No, she's very cool. Okay. And uh, she, I'm not talking about Ann Richards anymore. Um, so yeah, John Wright, which is like one of those, it just feels appropriate when mm-hmm. talking about my grandfather to call him John Wright. Cause it's like, he was a very embodied person. I feel like. John Wright Esquire. John Wright Esquire. And he, um, he was just a funny man. I, uh, you know, I have to make some guesses, but my guess is he was an Enneagram eight. He didn't go in much for the feelings. There are those in your family. Yeah, that's true. He always shot you straight, but also he has a tendency for... This is not very eightish, actually. He has a tendency for hyperbole. One time on a Christmas Eve dinner, I was probably 20, and we were at a family favorite restaurant, you know? Mm -hmm. And he turned to us and he said, okay, kids, I just want to let you know. So I'm 20, the twins are like 15. And he said, I just want to let you know, um, everything I've ever told you is probably a lie. What? (laughs) What a great story. like, Marty's not my kid. <laughs> Marty's not my child. So she was adopted. Um, um, so he was just really great, and he did a lot of good work for people um, in the state house, and also he was a lawyer and just one of those guys that we were always finding out stories about. You know, someone was coming in 15 years later and being like, you know, one time John Wright did yeah. this thing for me. And we were John like, Wright, am omnipresent in people's lives somehow. Yeah. One of those fellers. And he, you know, he drove me to Sunday school every Sunday for like... Oh, wow. Yeah, for like 10 years of my life. From when I was really little to when I was like, maybe when I started youth group or something. I don't Very know cool. Exactly when. And um, he played the trumpet in the church um, orchestra. And he just was a real renaissance man. So, Taylor, when I asked you before we started the show if I could ask about him on the air, you said yes, but I don't want to do something emotional. I'm trying very hard to steer clear of that, but I, here's the thought I had. Okay. You're just such a gifted communicator. Hmm. Would you be the one asked to do a eulogy when you celebrate him and his birthday next year? Um, what a great question. I don't know. We have talked about that. So one of the things about this whole situation is that he, he about 18 months ago, got a brain injury. We have sort of slowly been... Um, knowing that this was coming. So my mom, also my mom, I go back and forth on whether or not she's a two or a three. One of the things that makes me think she's a three and not a two is she's pretty forward thinking sometimes. So she's like planned her own funeral also because she's an insane Gosh, person. she's so uh, admirable and awesome. <laughs> she is awesome. And uh, so we've talked a lot about like what Buddy's funeral might look like and we have all, you know, 
that's gone through phases. So we'll see what happens. Well, thanks for giving us and listeners a moment just to get a glimpse into your life. Yeah. We always want to be mindful of the people that help tell your story because you mean so much to us. And by extension of that, John Wright, Esquire, meant meant something to us. Yeah. He's he's a cool guy. He came a couple of times while during my tenure here. So he liked it. I love it. Yeah. Well, Taylor, um, I have good news. You do? We did some research this week, and we're going to get a more in-depth look at the Wildcat slash Cannibal Sandwich. We have a Wisconsin native who we're going to bring in to talk to us about it. Oh, my god! And I promised her we'd contact her between 1 and 2, and it's already 1.40. So let's okay. uh, let's go ahead and make a phone call. This is Deb Engen. Okay. Deborah, Deborah Engen. She um, is the mother of Erica Graham, okay. who we've talked about before, who preached the last kind of full UBC'd, like, attended sure. service. Yeah. And um, she was there that day, and she's just a sweetheart. We love Wisconsin, of course, of and course. the Badgers Packers, and yeah. she's going to talk to us about the sandwich, hopefully. My gosh, that's so exciting. I feel like it's become quite a phenomenon on the internet. People yeah. Keep talking about it. It's oh. in the news. Deb! Hey! Josh Carney here. Hi, Jeff. Good. Good to hear yeah. your voice. Nice to hear you. Deb, we're so honored that you're going to be on the podcast with us right now. Well, that's, I'm honored. <laughs> Deb. I'm very honored. Um, well, of course, we called you to talk about the sandwich, which we'll get to in a second. But um, just give okay. us an update on your life. Uh, you've had a big 2020 because as, as down as it's been for everybody else, you went ahead and got yourself two grandchildren. I did. I have two pandemic grandchildren. I do. <laughs> I have one that is two months old living in Denver and one four months old living here in Houston. So we feel very, very blessed. We've been... Uh, isolating here in the Houston area, so we get to see that grandchild and Eric and Garrett. Um, we did travel out to Denver once to see them, but we quarantined for two weeks and we took the COVID test and we drove straight through and we wore masks the whole time, so we were able to see that grandchild briefly too. But Christmas, we can't go back out right now, so well, Deb, that's I'm, a bummer. I'm real sorry about that. And remind me both of your son's name and your other grandchild's name. It's Nick and Elise. Nick is my son, and then their grandchild, or their child, my grandchild, is Clayton. Named after Randy's dad, Clayton Engen. Oh, that's very sweet. Now, who's older? Um, Erica or is Nick, you said, right? Nick. Yeah. Yep, Nick's older by two years. And you, sh- you should brag about yourself a little bit, because we all know that uh, Erica was the best point guard ever to play for the Wisconsin Badgers, but Nick was also a like a first-team All-Big Ten golfer, wasn't he? Well, he wasn't a first-team All-Big Ten golfer, but he did win state Wisconsin golf, and then he did play for the Badgers, so he was on the Badger team for five years as a golfer. Um, So, yeah, he's a a pretty good golfer. (laughs) And, of course, your son-in-law played tight end for the Houston Texans, and he was also a Badger. That's right. So we're very... My daughter played basketball for the Badgers. Very... Football for the Badgers. My son played golf for the Badgers. And Randy and I are alumni, but we're losers. We didn't get to play any sports. (laughs) Now, Deb, I don't mean to put you on the spot, but now that you've got um, Clayton and Jet, um, let's say there's a moment where it makes the most sense for you and Randy to move into the garage apartment of either Nick or Erica. We know this is a long way off because you're both fit as a fiddle. But um, let's say in 40 (laughs) years when that's a reality, who are you going to pick? You can go with Jet or Clayton. (laughs) 
Okay, well, I'm not going to pick Jed or Clayton. We had this funny discussion one time, jokingly, but my son said, now, Eric, you do realize when mom gets older, I'll take care of her finances, but you have to change the diapers. <laughs> so I think I'd have to, I think I'd have to go live with Erica so my diapers could get changed. <laughs> well, there you go. Okay. Hopefully it never gets to that point, but. Uh, Deb, but it's funny you say that, Josh, because we just sold our house and we moved. For two years, we are going to move into an apartment. We just moved. We're moving right now in an apartment. And we're going to live for two years in an apartment and spend nine months in Texas and three months in Denver so we get to know both grandchildren. And then after that, we're going to decide what we want to do. Well, I'll be praying for that big moment and that Erica doesn't take it the wrong way if you choose not to live by her permanently. <laughs> That's so, right. You never know. <laughs> well, Deb, you remember my co-host Taylor. I'm sure she was on stage at one point when Erica preached for us. Yes. Ta you two were hilarious on stage. I loved it. Well, Taylor you is just so great. Cool Taylor makes me look good. So Taylor's right here next to me um, and listening to everything we say. So just so you know, you got a little bit of an audience here. Yeah, hello. Okay. Hi, Taylor. Okay, Deb, I don't, I, now I don't know if Erica told you, but the real reason we wanted you on the phone, aside from hearing about your amazing family, is that we're trying to get to the, ba the bottom of this uh, wildcat slash cannibal sandwich mystery about the uh, raw hamburger sandwich <laughs> in Wisconsin. Yeah. And we had a uh -huh. lead that you used to consume this on a regular basis. So why don't you start okay, by telling now, us. come on, Josh. What? You can't tell me that you lived in Wisconsin and you never ate a cannibal sandwich. Deb, I'd never heard of it. Uh, to be honest, I don't. What? I did. I did read. Or Taylor read and told me that it's a southeastern Wisconsin thing. Mm -hmm. Well, and it's German too. Well, I was German. Both my parents had a little bit of German in them, so yeah, yeah. But we ate. Yeah, I ate cannibal sandwiches. It was actually it was a holiday dish, though. So we only really served it, it's like a delicatessen, <laughs> we only really served it during the holidays. Yeah, but Deb, did you ever get concerned that somebody was going to get some bacteria or something eating that raw hamburger like that? Well, nowadays I would, but back then no one thought of that. No, we didn't. We had, we got really good beef and my mom would mix with salt, pepper, and onion and I, everything was raw and then we'd scoop it on crackers and we'd eat it. Holy smokes, Deb. Now, so when, how do we survive? Well, we're hardy though in Wisconsin. We survive winter, so we can well, survive a cannibal sandwich. The, the truth is, Deb, they consume a lot of other uh, alcohol to disinfect whatever goes in your stomach right away, too, in Wisconsin. Well, uh, Deb, here's my question. So well, you said you wouldn't do it now. Is that like kind of a farming practices uh, remark, or is that just a, a knowledge-based remark, like now we know about bacteria? Well, now we know about bacteria. With salmonella and E. coli, I would not do it now. Eat raw hamburger, but back then, we didn't think anything of it. In fact, we thought the undercooked meat or raw meat was a rare treat. We thought that was delicious. <laughs> well, that's interesting. I, I do suspect, though, that the factory practices were a little safer, you know, back then than they are now. Um, Probably, and we had a butcher in town. Yeah, that's so, that's what I mean. I Everything was in local. A little tiny town of twelve hundred people, but we had a local butcher too. So. Well, I, we last week we called Bunzels in Milwaukee. Ever heard of Bunzels? No. Well, I I thought I was calling a restaurant, but in, in listening back, I realized they actually were a butcher shop. Yeah. And so you know, oh. I I suspect if you had disinfected your equipment and you you know you made the the stuff right away, um, it wouldn't be wildly different than eating an underdone steak, right? Where you, you can kind well, of... Well, yeah, probably. I think steak's probably even a better meat than a hamburger would be, but... Right. <laughs> but, you know, when my mom used to make um, meatloaf, too, so she just add, she had the 
salt and pepper and onion, but then she'd add an egg and cracker crumbs and mix that up. And before she'd stick it in the oven, we'd all get a big goop of that and eat that. <laughs> Holy <laughs> smokes, Deb. I don't know, honey, <laughs> you Wisconsin kids grew up to be normal. <laughs> Well, that could be true. I don't know. I'm just teasing. I, know. I have some normal friends. No, I I'm teasing. I love friends. the state. I love you. <laughs> I love everything about it. Well, Deb, we sure appreciate you getting on the phone and helping us solve the cannibal sandwich mystery. Yeah, thanks so much. Oh, you are welcome. My pleasure. And My ho- pleasure. And hopefully... Uh, I think you two are just great. Well, thank you. Hopefully this pandemic uh, gets under control real quick and I can bring my wife and four children to stay in your apartment with you guys for a weekend <laughs> in Houston. There we go. Well, we have an extra room, and we're poolside, so come on down. Yeah, well, you be careful what you wish for. We'll be there next week. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right, Deb, thanks a lot. That's good, Josh. Yeah, thank you. All Take right. care. Bye. 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 Well, what do you think? I think she's the sweetest person I've ever oh, met. Oh, she's just like she sounds. She's yeah. just the absolute best human being you'll ever meet. Oh, gosh. If you want to adopt a grandma, you should go for her. Okay. I mean, I guess it'd be more a mom. You already have a mom yeah. in terms of age difference. Yeah. But. Um, well, that was interesting. You know what? You bring up a good point, and she does too, about like having a butcher make yeah. something as opposed to like a, like a big manufacturer just grinding up beef and grinding up, grinding up, grinding up. Yeah. Well, and I think I was, I don't know if I did this on the air, but making the, the point about the, I think it was on the air where I talked about. The COVID spreading in America versus a small country uh-huh. is, I think, where you had a lot of those local distributors in terms of commerce. Right. It was easier to do well or yeah. control. I don't know. Anyhow, well, gosh, I just loved calling Deb. I that that was so much it, fun. It's like, I wonder what it would taste like. And also, I think if I tried to eat it, I would throw up. Maybe if we can find ourselves a way to secure some really sanitized hamburger from somebody we trust, we could take the plunge and have a cannibal sandwich sometime. Okay. Or a, a cannibal sampling. I would sampling. Yeah, there yeah. you go. There you go. I'm gonna do a whole sandwich. Maybe. Well, that was fun. Okay, Taylor. Guess what? What? This week. Guess what I discovered? What did you? This discover? is a very late to the game boomer kind of move in my part. Okay. Again, Josh is not a baby boomer. I. Not even. Not by a long shot. Well, I, maybe not even a, a gen a gen Xer, Xer yeah. but maybe a gen Xer. I got on the Spotify's. You did? Yeah. You didn't? Somebody sent me a song that I couldn't listen to unless I had Spotify. Okay. So I finally downloaded it. And guess what? What? It's great? Well, I um, I have Pandora. I have a subscription. Okay. And I love it. Yeah. You can't choose your songs. Oh. You can choose your songs on YouTube TV, uh-huh. which I'll use. Yeah. YouTube TV music or YouTube music. Yeah. But if you shut the window then, like if you're running, it, clo- it clo- closes. closes. You can't listen. Spotify, yeah. you can play a song. Yeah. Then you can close that window, go do something else on your phone or your computer, and it's fine. And it keeps what a winner! Yeah, I'm a Spotify fan now. And if you have, if you have a subscription, you can choose a song. But also, you I could, can choose a song can without can a subscription. Make a playlist. Oh, you can without a subscription. You just go pick a song and listen to it. Huh. That's why I was on YouTube Music. I, I can, have an Apple. I have like Apple Music. So you got something. So, yeah. I'm thinking about maybe switching from. Um, uh, Pandora, Pandora to Spotify. Spotify. It, I'm gonna give it a, a poke around a little bit, see how yeah. it goes. Well, they do get the co- you get the cool end of year lists too, which I think you would like. Yeah. Like they compile like here's the song you listen yeah. to the most. Yeah. Well, that's essentially what Pandora is. is it's an ever evolving suggestion list. Yeah. Um, I haven't used Pandora in a long time, but I forgot a big function is like that you. Well, I will say the songs you don't like. Pandora is not really always gifted at adding variety after a while. Okay. 
sometimes we get stuck in a rut. Okay. And have to create a new station just to well, get out. I get stuck in musical ruts all the time. I'm always like, I actually really get stuck in like, um, like it's like I will want to eat from the same restaurant like four weeks in a row or something like that. Yeah. I mean, I mean like once a week, but like. Yeah, I'm all in on a product. Yeah, and like I'll listen to the same album forever in a row or whatever. So. Yeah. Um. Well, I just wanted to let you know I'm in the uh, loop on the uh, Spotify. Spotify. Okay. Okay, Taylor. Yeah. Um. Well, we have a few things to get through. Okay. One is the changes in the NBA. Okay. Another is some West Wing stuff. Okay. But I also, before we do that, want to talk about the poll I put up on our Instagram account. Okay. I was stunned to see. Yeah. That people preferred us to a guest. Why were you stunned to see that? Um. I think we're both very interesting people. I do too. I just I I don't know. I don't want to listen to. I want to. I want some variety. You well, know? I don't think they were saying like never have a guest. Yeah. I don't think that was the thing they were saying. But we um, w- let's give people a little bit of the data because we uh-huh. thought this was interesting in analyzing. We did. Um, we had it was seventy five percent I think for us twenty five. Just us. And, and there was perfect. one male who voted for you and me, mm-hmm. and there was one female voted for okay. guests. Otherwise, it was all male guests had voted for having guests, and all females voting for you and me to talk. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Also says something about our um, listenership in general. There's certainly more women listening to us yeah, than men. Yeah, that's true. Um, or actually, maybe there's just more women that follow us on Instagram. Maybe. <laughs> um, I would bet that's indicative of the wider audience, though. Yes. That's a fair sampling. Um, and yeah, I think so, too. But yeah, so interesting that it was like, all men voted for guests and, and then one woman and then all women voted for just us and then one man. Well, I, I have a theory about this, but I have to lean into some sexist tropes and norms to solve it. Good. Are, good. are you okay with that? Sure. So. I mean, I'll just tell you if I think you're wrong. Sometimes uh-huh. some people would think that men are solution oriented, like um, data driven some sometimes, people sometimes would say that women are process oriented okay. emotion uh, valuing kind of journey or you know so, so that might make sense of some of the data but i don't understand how you think those things correlate to each other because you and i are much more of a processor like think we like interview a person to get a specific set of data or an answer yeah, or like about a specific thing yeah where you and i are like let's just drink deeply from the world and see what come up with no? I guess. Um, yeah. No, I think that makes sense. Yeah. Based on, yeah, some sort of uh, tropes, gender role tropes. Mm-hmm. So, but also I think people just let, um, like talking, like th- thinking about serious things. I feel like one of the pieces of feedback we get a lot is that people are like, um, the disagree. Well, the, well, yeah, that. But also, I feel like that people are like, I was like talking back to you in my car. Oh yeah. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so I think like people like it's like a conversation. Then they like to participate, which I love. I like that too. Um, ben Rayleigh was listening to a bunch this weekend, and he was texting me, and he was like, "I'm very sorry, but normally I don't have this proximity to the host of a podcast i'm listening to yeah i like i like having people be conversation partners yeah, so if you're ever on the fence about whether to text us please do yeah we like it okay um well i was just surprised 
Let's transition to NBA. Okay. Big news. Big news. Um, Giannis signed a super max deal with the Milwaukee Bucks. Big news. I know. Oh my gosh. My it. Tuesday last week was such a basket of joy in the middle yeah. of that joy week. Yeah. Because Giannis said, I will be with the Bucks for four years with an option for the fifth. Yeah. That's Praise great. the Lord. Great. And we have Middleton locked up. Drew Holiday is now on a one year contract. You know, I was thinking, you know how I say we, we need Clay because we need a shooter mm-hmm. and we need a two? Yeah. You know who I was thinking we could also get if we can't get Clay? Who? Luka Doncic. No. Yes. No. He would make great sense. No. You, you were willing to swipe Giannis from us. So I, now that that's settled. But I said that and you said. What? No, it would be too much. It would be too well, much. Well, I, I take it back. I'll take <laughs> I'll take Luca. You know what? I was in um I was in Dallas this weekend. Yeah. And it's so great. They have billboards all over mm-hmm. that just say Luca first team. <laughs> I do. Did you see uh, the J.J. Barea interview from when he, he is his contract? No. He was talking about Dallas, and he was like, this is home. This is just like, it's been the best place I've ever played. It's like, it is like a family here. It's mm-hmm. a great place to play basketball. And then I think about, um, so a lot of things have been popping up uh, from Dirk's last season that I shared, like, you know, on social media yeah. or whatever. And it really was just like, through a lot of Dirk's career, a lot of people were like, Dirk is soft. And then his final season, it's like, the thing I saw most recently was a clip where Doc Rivers called a timeout, stopped the game, yeah, took, oh. the, took the mic, and was like, everybody cheer for Dirk Nowitzki. Yeah. He is one of the greatest basketball players of all time. And I just think, like, Such a beautiful it's moment. so crazy that he spent his whole career at Dallas, and we just loved him so much. And I think that is sort of the culture of, like, being a Mavericks fan. Like, we... And was a little bit hard about... After the championship, they traded a lot of people right away because that was the, the, what's it called? They weren't playing that first season or that, like, those first few games because they were on, they couldn't come to an agreement. Oh, uh, lockout? Yeah. Holdout? Um, yeah. And so the season started late. They traded a bunch of guys away. And I think that, like, as a, probably just me personally as a person, but also Mavs fans, like, we get very attached to players. We like uh, really love them, and so it was hard to have so many people traded away. And then yeah. Dirk um, obviously was not traded away. But anyways, all that to say, yes, there are just like billboards all around Dallas that are like Luca forever. Luca's the best. Luca first team. And well, few observations. Number one, you know, players leave for major markets all the time, which they basically mean New York and L.A. But yeah. DFW, taken as a whole, is the third largest metro like, area in the U.S. Yeah. So if you wanted a major market, yeah. certainly for broadcasting. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't know culturally if DFW is kind of yeah. avant-garde, but if it's just like exposure and size, it really is a well, good bet. Yeah, and I think that it's like, uh, so one thing Dirk did is got very involved in the larger community, and Luca has also started doing yeah. that as well. And so it's like... Um, if you're not thinking just straight basketball, because if you're thinking just straight basketball exposure, we do not, like, it depends on how good the team is. Like, right. we're not always going to be on the air or whatever. Well, and you, you, you live in the light, the limelight of the Cowboys, I think. Yeah. In Dallas. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, the Cowboys are always going to be. Because what is it? Is it Cowboys, Mavericks, or Rangers? It depends on who you ask. Like, okay. some people are. Well, and there are people who are like, no, the Mavs. Everybody loves the Mavs the most. But it's because they are, like, giant basketball fans. Yeah. Um, I would say, but it's, like, always the Cowboys. And they just take up so much, like, 
And then the stars are fourth. Space. Yeah, definitely. So um, a couple more observations about this. Mm-hmm. Um, number one, the article I read that I think I sent it to you was about how the Yana signing wasn't just a win for a bucks, but it was a win for small market teams. Yeah. Um, which I, I really hope encourages a similar situation in many small markets because yeah. I'm just, I mean. Yeah, it's so annoying when everybody just wants to go to like. Well, first of all, the Knicks aren't still aren't good. No. I think it's because they're divided by Brooklyn and New York. Like there's always you the. So? But then beyond that, um, well, the, the Nets could be good this year. Um, but sure. yeah, and then L.A., I just, I don't, I just roll my eyes. Speaking of which. That article I read also talked about, like, Giannis wanting to do it, like, certain stars. And they talked about people who stayed in one city forever. And one of the names, of course, was Dirk. Yes. Um, so it just really reminded me how respectful it is. Also, and we, we praise him all the time, so sure. I feel like I can kind of take a shot. Okay. LeBron James is very effusive about Giannis staying in the city. And I did see uh, Stephen, what's his name on uh, ESPN? Stephen. Yeah. yeah, Stephen A. Smith. Like, saying, like, LeBron had a bad situation in Cleveland. But there was just like kind of a small eye roll in me when LeBron's like, it's so great that you stayed in your city. Yeah. And it's fine. If he left Cleveland the second time because it was bad, that's great. But he left to go to Miami with a superstar team to yeah. win championships. Um, I, I've really done a lot. I've moved around a million ways about Dirk. Um, no, I have not. About LeBron. And um, I was so – I have no business to be this way. But I was so angry at him when he did the move to Miami because I thought it was classless. I thought it was gross. Also, then we beat them that next year, which was really great. Um, also, I really just, I don't like Dwayne Wade. Um, and But then when he went back to Cleveland and, and got the championship in Cleveland, I thought, like, okay, that was really meaningful. And also, it's like, he's done amazing community work in Cleveland. And then it's like, he just keeps, people keep giving him crap. About not being good enough, which is insane. Yeah. And so he thought, like, okay, let me go get a bunch of rings in L.A. And uh, I hope that that's what happens for him. Although I never want to see L.A. win, ever. Um, I will say, uh, I would think that at this point in his career, if he could kind of go back and take back one moment, the televised Boys and Girls Club I'm Taking My Talents to South Beach moment would be when he'd get back. I would bet. So. I would bet. He just seems like such a nice guy. And he was young. He was what? Well, and we can always say this about LeBron. He was a more mature 20-whatever-year-old than I was. Oh, absolutely. Or 30-whatever-year-old. Or yeah. f- fill in the thing. Uh-huh. So, okay. Well, one last NBA moment. I, okay. I you know, I'm on the internet. So I'm on the, the Instagrams. I Like, the reels will start to suggest based okay. on what you follow. Mm-hmm. So, mine are always baseball, football, and fly fishing. Interesting. And I don't know how I missed this, but in 2018, I just think this was such a great moment. It was like the... The, you know how they give out that award for sportsmanship at the ESPYs every year? Uh-huh. Did you see the moment when Mason Plumley came over the back of Stephen Adams and Stephen Adams like is going to have a clear, just easy two-point layup there? Uh-huh. He drops the ball, which is going to go out of bounds, does go out of bounds then, and he catches Mason Plumley so he doesn't get hurt. Oh, I, I thought, how great is that? If I were the coach of Mason Plumley's team, I can't remember who he's playing for in the clip, right. I would have clapped and then I would have had us turn over the ball and then inbound to give them the two points. That's what I would have done. I would be like, if you're going to show that kind of sportsmanship, let's celebrate that in sports and let's reward that and do the right thing. Yeah. Huh. Go watch that clip. It'll warm your heart. Okay. Okay. All right. Um, West wing. 
Yes, we. Are, I feel like we haven't talked about it in a while. Well, um, as you know, it's. Co- I'm, I'm not going to get there before Christmas, but like we said, I'll get to HBO Max. Yeah. So I watched the episode. I didn't know this. So it's the Andrew Jackson Block of Cheese episode and the second season. Yes. Where, for people who don't know, um, Leo McGarity, the chief of staff, makes everybody on senior staff take questions from obscure parts of the country that want access to the White House yeah. in their ears. It's like places that don't have enough money yeah. to really normally get access to get yeah. to the White House. So it's like, we think there's a UFO. So they have to, so yeah. CJ gets stuck with like the cartographers oh, for I love that. inequality. So and she, it, like they're making fun of the whole time. Well, then they sit down with cartographers yeah. and um, they start talking about how, making really great points about how the way we present the world really matters for yeah. all these things. But like she, she starts one of the examples that they give CJ is that um, Greenland yeah. is like one one hundredth the size of Africa. That's exaggerated. It's something disproportionate. Well, but if right. you look at a globe, they almost look the same. I'm like, okay, this is bullshit. Like I'm gonna Google this. So then I think you thought it was well. Then I think you know what we have Google Earth uh-huh. now. They didn't have that in 2000 when they wrote the script. Sure. I'm just gonna hop on there and look because it's like a satellite thing, right? Yeah. Like yeah. I'll see for sure the differences. So I go up. There's Greenland, and I go up, and there's Africa, and they look relatively the same size. So I'm like, oh no, they're making this up. They really. I have a satellite view. They're about the same size. Uh-huh. Then I Google it. It's true. Greenland's only like. One eighteenth the size of Africa, and there's all these things about the planet that we see represented to us, even on Google Earth, yeah. that are not right. No, that they're manipulated to look a certain way. Isn't That's that? insane. Now, <laughs> I will say this about Google Earth: okay. they are just abiding by the cartography right. that we've been handed down for hundreds of years. Yeah. They're not trying to bamboozle anybody. But it's wrong. But it's like insane. Yeah. Is that not insane to you? No. Yes, of course. I've watched that episode like three times now. So, but it's like. But also, it makes sense. And they talk a lot about how um, the things we see affect our perception. And so when you see um, when you see Greenland and Africa, they look the same size. That you're like, oh, this is like the same. You know, there's probably the same amount of people. There's probably the same amount of whatever. But it's like, no, Greenland. And population-wise, yeah. Greenland has so much fewer people than Africa does. Obviously, one of these is a country. One of these is a continent. And, um, and so then you, you know, you start to think differently about like, well, when you have fewer people, you have fewer problems to solve and things to, you know, fix whatever. And you're like, well, why can't you start to think about people in different ways? Whereas like, if you could really tell like a size differential and a population differential, you would understand that there's going to be, you know, if there's more people, then there's more, uh, things to you know, you need more food, you need more water, you need more blah, 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 blah. And it's just really fascinating. It's just these cartographers really in there being like, this is this is a social justice issue to get maps fixed. And they're saying crazy things too, which are, they're all true, but they're crazy. Like, they're like, well, what if we flipped the map upside down? Yeah. <laughs> and CJ's like, you can't do that. And yeah. like, why not? There's truly no reason we cannot do that. Yeah. And... It's just crazy. Yeah, I was not for flipping the map upside down. I know. That one really got to me. But correct size, I thought, like, that seems important. Yeah. Yeah. Anyhow, I just thought that was fascinating. It is. Okay, I have two more West Wing things. Number one, I it just dawned on me, because Hoynes, for listeners, is the vice president on the show. Yeah. And he's relatively powerless I mean, to an extent. I'm certainly, in some ways, the second most powerful person. I mean, but, he seems like a normal yeah, vice president. But we kind of joke, too, in our, in our country, like, what does the vice president really do? Mm-hmm. 
it just struck me though how like senior presidential staff really have way more power than even the vice president yeah. and you think that's a real thing i do it seems to be my understanding seems to be that that it, that it depends president to president well i suppose like the secretary of state certainly has more power than right. the vice president so here's what i would do you know i listen to that whole podcast on presidential and you get a sense of like oh i guess presidents really are the ones who change these kind of obscure things in our country yeah i'll tell you the two things i would take on if i were the president the president number one i would make the vp mean something Okay. Maybe I like wouldn't give away power, but I would like bolster it so it had a purpose. Like you would change. Yeah, I would like change the VP role in power so that was really meaningful. Maybe okay. even it's its own election. I didn't realize in Texas you elect a lieutenant governor. You don't. It's not a ticket. No, it's not. Yeah. So something oh, like that. Its own election. That Maybe. Would be so interesting. Maybe, and then the other thing I would do is I would dismantle and recreate the NCAA. I would take, I would reline all the conferences so they were regional. As the president? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, they get federal dollars, all of them. Okay. And um, the only I reason. I would love it if things were regional. I don't understand yeah. why it's not. Actually, I know that a lot of it is like um, that over the course, like a lot of them started out regionally and then over the course of time they have. Like yeah. Well, I read it. There was a great article in ESPN two weeks ago about the old Southwest Conference. Yeah. Um, and it made me just really nostalgic for what could be like that again. Yeah. Um, so I would tell, and I would rip, the, I hate the NCAA. Really? I think it's so petty and legalistic and unhelpful. Also, I want you to know for a second, I thought you said that NAACP, like that's oh. just what happened to my brain. And I was like, okay, mm. um, I think I, maybe. <laughs> we maybe aren't going to air this episode. <laughs> no, the NCAA. Right. Uh, I think that would be great. I think it would be, I, um. I'm sure, like it's anything, if you get in there and you can see why they made the rules, there's always a purpose, and it's to protect student athletes. No, I'm sure it's stupid. But it's gotten bureaucratic and it's stupid, and really, you need to rip the power out of the conferences too. I just wonder if you were the president. I would do it. I don't care. I wouldn't get reelected. That's fine. I'll be a one-term president, but I'll get it done. Because you want to know what? Here's the thing. Here's where we're at in America. If somebody ran on that, they might win because we care so much about college football. That's true. That's true. You make some good points. Wow. So I wouldn't have said that before 2016, but here, here we are. Okay. Thanks for listening. Last thing. This is an observation about me. Okay. So Lindsay has one of those um, TV small things that's like an Alexa, uh-huh. but it's, it's on the internet. So all that stuff is on there, uh-huh. which like I do a lot in the kitchen. It's wonderful to be able to have something in there. Uh-huh. I have known a long time an auditory learner, number one, yeah. kinesthetic, number two. But um, if I am doing something that is like mindless concentration, uh-huh. but I'm listening to something else, uh-huh. so like running, listening to a podcast, doing a puzzle watching, I get more information for some reason. Like I watch it better than when I'm physically watching the show. Yeah. I don't know why that is. You said kinesthetics number two? Yeah, but auditory number So like if I'm listening to West Wing, like it's a radio show, and granted Sorkin is so dialogue driven. Right. But like I pay better attention than if I'm like actually watching the show. That is so interesting. I'm a visual learner, so that of course does not, um, you know, sort of resonate with me. But I would bet it's. I mean, like if your if your two top like learning styles are uh, auditory and kinesthetic, then like you are engaging both of those. Oh, that's true. I didn't even think of that. Yeah. Look at well, yeah, and I'm doing doing. Uh, it's like you know orientation. So right as I was leaving teaching fidget spinners became a real thing and yeah. at first they were annoying but now it's like 
a lot of educators will prescribe those and say like, do you need to? Because a lot of kids that's need me. To be, I'm a fidget spinner. Yeah, they need I'm to a fidget. I'm a like in in we discovered this in the office. Like I have apologized to people before when I'm listening to them, mm-hmm. like in like very serious conversations. Uh-huh. But when I do a Rubik's cube, I hear what they say better than if I don't have it in yeah. my hand. Yeah, that makes sense. Huh? That's interesting. I need to do more research on this. Okay. Okay. Thanks for helping me unpack that. Of course. Um, this will lead us into our. Our last thing I have before we go to the quiz and commercials. Okay. Um, well, we're long today. We're at 40-something. Oh, wow. Uh, I, I had written down, this is before the week developed. I have a bone to pick with you, and that's the, that you never like or promote us on social media. I did. Well, you did. <laughs> this week is kind of a dig at me. <laughs> so, which I'll take it, but you did promote the show, so. Yeah, I did. I All right. promote the show. All right, let's put the gloves on. Here we go again. Okay. Um, okay. You have maintained, we've already talked some about this, but you maintain that I misunderstood or that I am in a state of misunderstanding about your, <laughs> your um, comment last week that said, you said essentially like, we were talking about that Colonel Sanders, um, Mario Lopez, Mario Lopez, masterpiece, <laughs> Hallmark movie. Which to be Christmas fair, have you movie. seen it? I have not, but Aaron Alvin said her and Jonathan watched I never, I've not seen it either. I haven't seen it. And you said, oh, yeah, just like Hamilton. And I said no. And also then later, like the next day, I was still thinking about it, and I tweeted, Josh compared the KFC Mario Lopez movie to Hamilton, and I think I have to quit my job. Which is funny. <laughs> and um, and so I, like, to me, the two things, can, they are not comparable. You cannot compare them. It's like... Okay, wh- why don't you explain to me what you heard me say? I... I heard you, you said, oh, you mean like beyond. Like what was the comparison about? Okay. It was something to do with like unexpected things. Being combined. Being combined. I in no way would never dream of compare. I mean, in fact, they're they're antonyms. One is a cultural shaper icon. The other is a cultural faux pas. I mean, that's how different they are. Yeah. Like I'm with you on that. Like that is offensive in that way to compare them yeah. i'm not comparing them that way at all my comparison is I know. you have two very unlike things in bed together to produce a kind of art like, that was obscure to me yes yes i hear what you're saying and i know that that's what you mean and also um what's a thing you really love like a piece of art i love her 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 i can't say this from bosch's garden of delights painting okay Yes, okay. That didn't help? You want another one? Well, no, it does help, but it's like... Because what you were going to do is like show me that the thing I love is actually an obscure collection of things, too? Well, no. Okay. But it's like, if I took that, and then I just brought you a stick painting, mm-hmm. and I said, like, these are, these are, these can be compared in some kind of way. It's like... They, they could be compared they in some... They can't. Of course, they're both attempts at art. No. You just made my point. Thank you. I didn't make your point. <laughs> I didn't. It's like one of them is so good, then it, it is okay. Then let, let me turn the pa- t- tables. Okay. I wanted to make the point that it is strange to me that obscure things are brought together. I guess. I guess. Wait. Let me finish. Okay. Finish. You're right. You're right. Um, it's obscure things are brought together. Uh huh. That's the point I'm making. Okay. What's an appropriate Hamilton-worthy comparison to say? As is this. Artificial, or no, this uh, obscure figure from his, not obscure, he's pretty famous, but this figure from history becomes a musical, 
that yeah. changes the world. That's not. It's just not strange that a figure from history. But you would granted my point that one time. I said if I could have told you in 2012, that's before Hamilton, right? Uh huh. I'll give you 5,000 guesses to pick which of these topics is going to be the next musical you would never have picked Hamilton. That was my point, right? No, but that's because musicals are about all sorts of things. I know, but we've had this conversation. Like, we, you wouldn't be surprised by any Disney movie becoming a musical. You wouldn't be... I mean, it's... I'll well, say this. Um, becoming a musical is a different thing than becoming, like, a generation-defining work of art. Like, okay. So for there to be a... A Disney musical How about on this? Broadway? That's Of course, that's not surprising. It could be that that Colonel Sanders movie is the worst thing in culture in the last 10 years. So it's like it in that way. You have the best and the worst. It's the perfect antonyms. No. Um, here's the thing. I think all the things you're making make sense. All the things you're saying make sense. I think you have... This is it, really. Uh, first of all, I think it is not that crazy. That him... Like, I... I I think the general premise of your comparison is off because the fact that there would be a musical about Alexander Hamilton and that it would involve like rap music, which I think is also, you're like, these are crazy things going together. It's just not that crazy of a thing. The way Lin-Manuel Miranda did it was incredible. Because he's a genius. Yes. Okay, here's a question. What if you have no recollection of the Mario Lopez movie? It's not in your head. It doesn't exist, okay? Uh-huh. And I say to you, hey, Lin-Manuel Miranda yeah. is going to create a musical. Yeah. And here's how crazy it is. He's going to use the KFC guy, Colonel Sanders. Yeah. He's going to make it a Christmas musical. Uh-huh. And it's going to have, like, lifetime themes. And it's going to be a Broadway spectacular. Wouldn't you just say, what the hell? That's yeah. absurd, that combination. Yeah. That's my point. Yeah. Okay. And I guess, yes, and I guess if someone had said to me in 2000, and, I mean, it's like in 2009, I cannot believe I'm conceding this point. Um, if someone had said to me in 2009, Lin-Manuel Miranda, who has already written In the Heights, a mm-hmm. very successful Broadway musical, is going to write a musical about Alexander Hamilton, and it will have rap and R&B music in it. Um, I would have been like, that sounds insane. That's my point. I'm so mad. Uh, well, let's give it a week and maybe you'll have further thoughts <laughs> and we can fight about it no, again. No, I don't think so. I think, I think to me, it's just, it's just, I think, uh, I see your point. I think it's just quality. Oh, it's I, so I'm with you. Yeah, me. it's the worst. Also, I think you haven't seen it. I know, I know you haven't seen oh, it. Oh, Hamilton? Hamilton. Yeah, okay. Maybe maybe I will join. Because like, if you compared Bono to, I don't know, whoever. No, this is the point I'm making. Okay. If you, so you just made my point. If I compared Bono to... Yeah, I was I was conceding your point. If you yeah. compared Bono to, I don't know. We're both right, is the thing. Yeah. Well, that's probably usually the case. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, we have a Christmas quiz, and then we have to go to commercial. Okay, ah, you ready? Quiz. This is our last Christmas quiz. I guess you have a quiz next time. We'll be in the new year. So, okay. All right, this is from Cosmopolitan. Okay. It's 31 questions. I'm not going to know the answers. Ooh, it's 34. To some of these. Okay. Who they're down below. Okay, never mind. Well, I'm not going to scroll back and forth. Which country started the tradition of putting up a Christmas tree? Um, Germany? Yep. Very, wow. Okay, number two. How many sp- ghosts show up in a Christmas carol? Three? That's Four. what I would have thought of it, but remember Jacob Marley's also a ghost. Yeah. Very good. Okay, in Home Alone, 
Where are the McAllisters going for their holiday when Kevin is left behind? I guess it's the first one. In the first home run? Uh, oh, is it in England? I mean, is it in Europe? It is in Europe. Uh, Paris. Yes. Okay. Which country did eggnog originate? In which country? Oh, what a great question. I don't know. Uh, it is Britain. Oh, that would have been my guess. Okay, here's a tricky one. How many gifts were given total in the 12 days of Christmas? Okay. Wait, that's a hard one because yeah, it it's is like hard. every day, right? Yeah, and if I would have um, if I would have tried to do the math based on the song, I would have gotten the wrong answer. So it's like 1 plus 1 plus 2? Yes. Okay. Yeah, so you have to add all the previous additional gifts onto the thing. And there's 12 days. So after one day, you have one. After two days, you have three. After three days, you have... So you have to do a factorial thing with math. <laughs> Can I do the math? There's actually, like, surprisingly, you get to the NCAA with how many games are played. It's a similar sort of thing. So do you want just the answer, or do you want to try and calculate it? Um, hold on. Let me try to calculate it. So there's 10 days of three. Nine days of four. What's four times nine? 36. 36. Um, uh, five days eight of eight, days of five, so that's 40, 40 plus, uh, eight, seven days of six, which is 42. Fifth. Yeah. 42. Um, six days of seven, also 42, 42. five days of eight of eight. Also, so you should, Oh, 40. You should have some symmetry here. Plus. Um, yeah, five days of eight, four days, or eight days, yeah, five days of eight, four days of nine. 36. 36. Three days of 10 is 30. Two days of 11. 11 is 22. And one day of 12. 12. What'd you get? 364. Ding, 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 you did it. All right. Okay, next up. Yes. Um, what year did Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas as you come out? 2001. 1994. Oh my gosh, I was so off. You were close. In which Christmas movie does Tom Hanks play six of the main characters? I don't know. Yeah, you do. Oh, Polar Express. Um, in which country is it a tradition to eat KFC at Christmas dinner? The great countries. I know this. China. Close. Uh, Geographically. Right. I'm not saying culturally. Right. I don't know. Japan. Japan. Um, in the movie Love Actually, which character sang Christmas is all around? Mm -hmm. The old guy. Yeah. He's also Davy Jones in Pirates of the Caribbean Part 2. Oh. He's one of my favorite actors. Brit yeah. British actors. Do you know his name? I don't. Bill Nighy. Oh. All right. How many of Rudolph's fellow reindeers start with the name D? Dancer, Dancer, Vixen, Comet, Cupid, Donner, Blitzen, three. Very good. Uh, you're really good at like deducing answers, like working through it. I think it comes from being thinking repressed. I like have to. Yeah, you, that muscle is well worked. Mm -hmm. Okay. What is traditionally hidden inside a Christmas pudding? Uh, beef and peas. That's a friend's reference. Uh, no, a Christmas pudding. I didn't know this. Figgy thing? That's what I thought too. It's a coin. Oh. 
Which city has been donated are donating Trey Falgar's Christmas square tree in London every year since 1947? Which city? Um, which country has been donating their Christmas tree? So this is a major square in London. Yeah. They get a Christmas tree every year Trafalgar from a country. Square, yeah. Yeah. Um, another, another country. country. They have city and the country. I'll just give you the country if you get it. Um, I don't know. Who would grow great pine trees? Evergreens. Always around in the north. <laughs> yeah, like, um, I don't know, Norway or something? Yes, Norway. Oh. Very good. All right. Oh, what city? So what city within Norway do you think? Do you know the capital? No. Oslo. Oslo. Okay, if you're born on Christmas Day, what is your star sign? Oh, gosh, what a great question. Mm, Sagittarius. Mm, good guess, Capricorn. What is the best-selling Christmas song single of all time? Frosty the Snowman. Nope. What is it? It is White Christmas by... Oh, my gosh, Bing Crosby? Yep. Uh, a UK sitcom, Gavin and Stacey, returned to TV for a Christmas special in 2019. How many years has it been off-air before that reunion? Fourteen. Nine years. Okay. Okay, number 16. We have a Friends question. In the episode of Friends, the one with the holiday Amarillo, who dresses up as an Amarillo? Armadillo. Ross. (laughs) Yes. In Mean Girls, which Christmas song do the plastics get up on stage to perform? I'm trying to think. Santa Claus is coming to town or something like that? Bobby Helms, Jingle Bell Rock. What time is the Queen's speech traditionally broadcast on Christmas Day? Noon. It's. I just saw it here. What is it? It is 3 p.m. Okay. okay. All right. What color are mistletoe berries? Red? White. Really? I feel like they're always colored red oh that's holly i'm thinking of holly. yeah i did the same thing in my head in yeah. home alone 2 who does kevin run into in the hotel lobby lobby donald trump boo <laughs> <laughs> what color suit did santa wear until coca-cola rebranded him in red i do not know he isn't that fascinating yes isn't that fascinating was it green yes okay all right 22 what decoration do elves traditionally have on their shoes jingle bells I'll give it to you, Bells, yeah. All right. Miracle on 34th Street centers on what real-life department store? Macy's. 24. Which Christmassy song plays at the end of the 1988 film Die Hard? I have never seen Die Hard. Sammy Kahn and Jewel Stein, Let It Snow, Let It Snow, Let It Snow. Let It Snow. What is the opening line to Shake and Stevens' Merry Christmas, everyone? (laughs) I don't know. Snow was falling. All around me. Twenty-six. What was the UK Christmas number one? What was the UK Christmas number one in two thousand ten? Song. Yeah. I would never get this. This is a UK cosmopolitan version. Okay, I was like, this is a lot. Of when we collide by Matt Cardell. Okay. You ever heard that? Uh, no. All right. Maybe. Twenty-seven. When do the twelve days of Christmas start? On Christmas. Yeah, that's a that's a question for somebody who doesn't know the church calendar yeah. very well. <laughs> yeah. According to Buddy Elf, what are the four food groups elves can eat? Uh, candy. Yep. Uh, chocolate. Nope. Sprinkles. Nope. Hot chocolate. Nope. What does he ask for on a spaghetti? 
Syrup. Yep. Okay. Candy, da 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 and syrup. Candy. Bum, bum, bum. Candy, candy canes, candy corns. Candy canes, candy corns. Yeah, he's treating them like food groups. There's the candy group, there's the candy canes group, there's the candy corns group, and then there's syrup, which is cornstarch or corn syrup. Yeah. All right, 28. Ready? Yeah. Uh, according to Buddy Elf, what are... Oh, I did that. Did I skip one? Oh, you're in 29. What fruit is traditionally put inside of a Christmas stocking? We always did oranges, but... Okay. That's oranges? what we got, too. We put them in our shoes on St. Nick Eve. Oh, on the on the sixth or the fifth, I guess that's when my mom would or when Saint Saint Nick would do that. Okay. All right, number thirty. According to the tradition, when should you have your Christmas decorations down by? Um, January first, third. Church calendar. Oh, the church calendar. Well, that's just that's your answer. Oh, January. Because what starts on the sixth? Six. Um, epiphany. Yeah, so on the fifth, you should have your decorations down. Right. All right, 31. Okay. Traditionally, when should you start making Christmas pudding? <laughs> yeah, Taylor. Um. <laughs> I'm just going to... Uh, December 23rd. On Sunday, five weeks before Christmas. Okay, obviously. 32. Uh-huh. What or who was killed off in the 2012 Downton Abbey Christmas special cliffhanger? I don't... I, I never saw watched, it. I like, the first season or Downton. I didn't see it either. Uh, Matthew Crawley, Dan Stevens. Oh, yes. All right, 33. And Elf, what's the first rule in the Code of Elves? A lot of Elf questions. I <laughs> must love him. What's the first rule in yeah. the Code of Elves? Yep. Help Santa all the time. Treat every day like Christmas. Oh. Oh. Okay. Oh, like Elf. I yeah, sorry. What gift did Harry Potter receive from the Dursleys during his first Christmas at Hogwarts? This is the last question. Um, I didn't remember that. It was like a tissue or something. A 50 pence piece. Oh. And that concludes Christmas quizzes 2K2. And now we're going to break for a commercial. Woo. Taylor. Yeah. Can I tell you about the absolute best place in Waco? Really the only place in the world to get one-of-a-kind, first-class, croissant-based donuts. Yes, Nightlight donuts. Yes. Run by entrepreneurs Jackson and Eric um, Wren, formerly of Dapper Bear Clothing. Yeah. Let me tell you what they did. They moved to New York to be writers for SNL. Uh That didn't work out. Uh But in the process, Eric learned how to make these world-class croissant based donuts and they took that recipe all the way back here to Waco and give us new New York style donuts I'll tell you what, they are so delicious well I was, you know, the last time I had them they just had the, the frosted ones and the chocolate ones which mm-hmm. were don't get me wrong magnificent but that's yeah. not really my cup of tea well we were at the Arrow Family Child Christmas Party uh-huh. and that was one of the things that you could feast on there and I grabbed one that had the chocolate but also had candy cane sprinkles on it so it was like a mint combination yeah. and Taylor it was to die for yeah. so for the Does their Christmas special. best breakfast experience or lunch or dinner, whatever you want to eat donuts, yeah. make sure you head over to Nightlight Donuts at 6500 Woodway Drive. That's 6500 Woodway Drive. I tell you to give them a call, but they don't want their phone number on the internet, so just follow them on Instagram Smart, and have the best donut experience of your life. Truly, and the coffee's good, too. Okay, Josh, can I tell you about... Uh, uh, a oasis of natural wonder. Oh my gosh! Here in Waco, in Waco, Texas, it an oasis of natural wonder. An oasis of natural wonder. It's one of my favorite places here in Waco, and it is the Cameron Park Zoo. Oh my gosh! I thought you were going to say the Selena Museum, but well, oh my gosh, that's great. First of all, the Selena Museum would be amazing, but 
The Cameron Park Zoo is amazing. Cameron Park is already amazing. Yes. And then in the middle of Cameron Park is the Cameron Park Zoo. And I remember the first time I went there. Do you remember the first time you went there? I do because Lindsay and I were scouting seminary. We didn't live here yet. <gasps> we're like, hey, let's have some time. We love zoos. Let's go to the zoo. And it was five bucks and we were blown away. To, yeah. First of all, it's like $5. And then you're like, this is like a nice zoo. Yeah. The first time I went, I was like, there's going to be like... Um, some gerbils or something. Right. But it's like there's all sorts of no, it's legit. animals. Yes, there's great animals. Our friend Maddie works there. She works with the reptiles. Yep. She does a great job. The reptiles are so fun. And state um, of the art herpetorium. Yes. And there's uh, the otter slide, which oh is gosh, amazing. And there's a like there's big cats there, and also the orangutans. And the there's orangutan that one baby. section, and I forget. I'm in Texas. I think I somebody flew me in a plane to Africa. Yes, because there's giraffes, rhinos. It's beautiful. Lions. Oh, I said hippos. They have hippos. No, they have hippos. I don't know. If they do have rhinoceroses, though. It's an oasis of natural wonder. Yes. Right here in the middle. And of our it, own and Taylor, town. if I don't want to pay to go to the zoo a hundred times, is there a family pass available? Yes. There's. You can get a family pass. It costs. I think. 65? Well, I don't know how much the family pass costs. Used to be. I really know how much it costs for me. And it costs like, um, I think it's like 20 or 30 bucks. What a great deal. And then you can go as much as you want. Yeah, it's just a great place to go walk yeah, or hang out or be. It's a great place to go sit. And like, I know, had a lot of friends in seminary that studied at the zoo because yeah. they had a pass. And you should go to the Cameron Park Zoo and support it because we love the zoo and we love supporting things in Waco. And uh, so you can go. It's in Cameron Park, technically 1701 North 4th Street, Waco, Texas. And it's just open most of the time. So you should go right now. Go get in your car. Go to the zoo and buy a family pass or a single pass or just a single ticket if you just want to spend $5. And you'll have a great time, guaranteed, by this podcast. And we're back. We're back. Thank you for a word from our sponsors. I was delighted to have those advertising dollars to promote this show. Well, Taylor, yeah. um, we were supposed to have special guests David Tran mm-hmm. and Roy Carney today, mm-hmm. but David is feeling under the weather, so we're going to postpone that. We want to talk to them about the gaming world and making money off of that. Very I do have another topic that I've been working on in the back of my head that I thought would help us further discussion we've had previously. Okay, so good. let me start by giving sharing an anecdote. Okay, please. Okay. This is actually a combination of a few things. You got the purity culture episode at work here, too. Yeah. So in high school, mm-hmm. um, Lindsay and I dated, mm-hmm. and we did not wait for marriage. Well. I'm going to leave it at that. Okay. Okay. And um, I had this history notebook I was discussing my intimate details with with a friend in okay. history class. Uh-huh. To this day, I don't know how that notebook ended up at home because I never had history homework, and I always got A's. I didn't need to study anything. <laughs> But I got a note on my car, on my steering wheel, after track practice one spring evening. Uh-huh. It said, you can't go to Lindsay's softball game, which was the next town over, like, 30 minutes away. You'd got to come home. And had the tone. I had a lot of freedom at this point. I knew something was up. Okay. So I went home, and I ran to my room to look for the, the kind of evidence that could have betrayed me. Sure. It was there, safe and sound. Okay. So then I walked into the kitchen, and I saw the notebook sitting there. Oh, my. And I, my heart sank. Okay. Because um, I had other things going on, too, like... Yeah. drugs and alcohol that my parents were finding out in one fell swoop okay. like oh dear god my life's over so let's <laughs> no, fast forward yeah. past that so um yeah. my parents found out which appropriately they then tell Lindsay's parents because sure. you know well, actually i told Lindsay that my parents found out and she got to tell her parents okay. which was that's good yeah um and so i moved out of my house um you did yeah wow. i moved in with my friend's dad who was a lawyer bachelor and my friend was at college okay. and my parents they knew where i went you know like it was right. like, it wasn't like but you know it was just like um, you know yeah. rebellious um, I'm probably giving too much information, but this is an interesting story. 
It is, yeah. I'm so um, I get a call that Friday night, promise the next night. Okay. And um, it's my dad, and he says, hey, we're at Lindsay's house. You need to come over here. Which I knew the moment was coming. Okay. So I get there. I haven't seen you her. You had a sense that that yeah. was. Okay. I get there. I haven't seen her dad who's been traveling all week, and it's kind of like um, um, Robert De Niro from Meet the, Meet the Fockers. Okay. So I, I literally told myself, he's going to open the door, and he's going to hit me, and that's okay because that's what I had this coming. you know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and he doesn't, thank God. So um, he sits down on their couch. On the other couch is my parents with Lindsay in the middle who is crying. And they're just like a big snuggle family. Like, oh, Lindsay you? and your parents? Yeah. <laughs> and then, so then now I'm sitting on a couch by myself. And they're like, you know when they interrogate people and there's like a light? Mm-hmm. It's pretty much that. Okay. It's a and, lot of couches. Yeah. Three couches to this day. And um, her dad asks me a question. Okay. Which is a completely fair question to ask in this moment. Okay. He said, you know, what were you going to do? Might have said, "What are you going to do if she's pregnant?" Okay. Okay. Sure. Um, Was there any like? Uh, yeah, I don't know, like the small talk thing or whatever. Like, we're sorry. You know, there was probably. Like, I just mean like, was there any reason to think she might be pregnant? I don't know. I mean, we we I were mean, using guys, yeah. we're using protection, but you know, it's not a hundred percent. Sure, sure. We're stupid. Maybe we did something wrong. Anyhow, and um, it was you know a fair question. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Um, he gets to ask. Yeah. And. I didn't have an answer. Okay. Because in my mind, I know there's not a realistic answer to this question. Right. What I'm going to say, well, I'm going to go get a part-time job making five fifteen an hour. Yeah. And I'm going to work 40 hours a week and drop out of high school. Uh-huh. And I'm going to support this baby and your daughter. Right. Like, that's not the answer that he's looking for. You know, like, sure. I'm going to work hard to graduate, make ends of me, and then I'm going to go start working at the mill when I'm 18 and get and work my way up, and that could maybe be a fledgling. He wasn't looking for that answer either. Okay. And I knew that. Right. Like, I knew... What I now know, looking back, mm-hmm. is that the question was rhetorical. I didn't have language for that in the moment. Okay. But my dad, after, like, probably what was an unbearable pause of me not answering, said, he asked you a question, son. Right. Which, you know, I think my dad was just trying to relieve the tension, and he was a nine. It was, a you know, a fair follow-up. Um, but now what I have processed years and years later is that what the question did for me was put me in the depths of my shame. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. Because, um, and I'm not saying I didn't deserve that in the moment. Sure. Um, but, um, what could I have said? And I felt like Mm -hmm. that was the point of the question Mm -hmm. was to like, let's just expose here the inadequacy of any kind of response you might have. Mm-hmm. Okay, and maybe I'm wrong in thinking that. We've never talked about it. Sure. By the way, um, let me give her dad credit. Her dad was also the one who I said in the previous episode who advocated for us to stay together. So yeah. it wasn't like trying to be against us or anything. But um, so I was thinking about that, and I remember that. My emotional memory of that moment is so vivid. Uh-huh. And now, Enneagram years later, I now sure. know it's because of my relationship to shame. Mm-hmm. So um, maybe I can share this too. Like, we left that moment, and I was furious with my parents. And with your parents? Yeah. Okay. Uh, for, like, what I felt like was putting me in a bad situation, which, again, it was totally just. They were just being parents. Right. right? They are doing. But, you know, you're an adolescent at the time. I was emotionally developing. Yeah. I was furious in a way that I have not been furious many times in my life. Right. And I, they knew it. They could, I mean, her, in fact, her parents made her call me that night to make sure I was okay because on the way out the door they could see how angry I was. Okay. 
Um, again, now I know years and years later what I was dealing with was my shame. Right, right. Being enforced in my shame with people, like with a spectacle, like people watching me. Yeah, well, you, you had to admit. Questions, like forcing me further into that. Now, there's a combination of things there. There's the shame, shame triad, which we both share. Mm-hmm. So let's just say this. People who do into Enneagram speak, there are three triads. Yeah. There's the heart triad, two, three, four. There's mm-hmm. the thinking triad, five, six, seven. Yeah. And then there's the gut triad or the experience triad or the intuition triad. I don't know. Suzanne yeah. calls it gut. They are the... Um, eight, nine, one. Eight, nine, one. What are they called? The what triad? The gut triad, yeah. The gut triad. So the different triads um, have, what is this subset called? Um. We're shame-based. The thinking triad is fear-based. Yeah. And the, the gut triad is wrath-based. Yeah. Or anger-based. Anger-based, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. What is that description? We are what? Sort of like a primary... Because there's the sins, which is different for all nine numbers. This is within that. We share shame in common. Yeah. Oh, I'm being told I have to go. I have to wrap this up in a couple minutes. Okay. (laughs) Oops, I didn't realize it got so late. Um, So here's, so let's just keep going until I have to go. Maybe we can hit pause and come back. Um, So there's the shame thing, which I have that you have because we're in this thing. Yeah. But then on top of that, there's the performance thing for me as a three in particular. And right. both of those were like being really hurt down to nothing in that moment. In this moment. Because they were combined. Right, yeah. Really bad description there, but you get the point, listener. Yeah. So I think that's probably in the back of me mm-hmm. when I do, when I think about cancel culture, is I'm processing that through my experience Your of, experience. and here's my point. For me, that is the absolute worst way to get what you want out of me. Like, if you want change, if you want me to repent, if you want me to own something, if you want to, like, like that is going to just take me into my fury, and I'm going to become, like, an animal cornered who feels threatened. That's what that's going to do to me. Right. When someone calls you on the carpet. Yeah, especially with an audience like that. Right, yeah. But then I was thinking back to that moment. I'm like, but that is probably particular to me. Right. So you are also in the shame triad. Yeah. So can you just talk to me about um, how you experience shame and why that does or doesn't affect you in that same way? Um, yeah. I do think, and maybe this is like a three-wing thing, Um well, I guess I have some follow, some follow-up questions, but first I can describe, like, my response, which I know as an adolescent especially, so, like, as a teenager, if I had been in that same situation, it is my gut instinct uh, to get myself out of it <laughs> with, um, uh, like, it is, like, I mean, it's, you know, so this is not... I'm not saying these are good qualities, but it's like I will um, I will sort of either lie or exaggerate exaggerate my way out of it. Um, or And I will put things back on other people, which is probably a two thing, like an emotionally manipulative thing. If I'm in that situation and someone says, what are you going to do? I mean, I guess I'm a woman, so I'll be like, what are you going to do if you're pregnant? I would say, like, you're going to kick me out of this house? That's what you're going to do? 
you're not going to offer me any care. <laughs> it's funny because the the posture you're taking in the voice <laughs> I've seen. So now to think, oh, that's what she's doing there. <laughs> she's putting it back on me. <laughs> Good to know. Um, yeah. So it's like, and it's, a, you know, it's turn of sometimes it's like if someone's like, well, what were you going to do? And I'm like, uh, I was going to do this. And it's like, I don't necessarily know. That I was gonna do. That's that. really good. I'm gonna I'm no, gonna flip no, the shame too. Bad. No, that's great. Um, it's but it is my instinct. Well, that's what we were talking the other day about. I think, oh man, I just am really admitting a lot of things. I guess, but I think a lot of people think of me as sweet. Uh huh. But it is not within me to not go for the jugular. Oh, I, I I know. If I if I feel called onto the carpet, and it's like, so I have spent a lot of time learning, like. Especially because it's more of a feelings thing. Like uh-huh. I'm just responding out of the way I feel yeah. from what they have asked me. Yeah. And so I've spent a lot of time like learning to pause and be like, what did they say? Do you know what I mean? Like, hmm. what did they really say? Hmm. And it is like, it's important that the way people say things and the words they use do make us feel things. And so if I need to bring that up, I can bring it up. But it's like, I've had to really do a lot of teaching myself to pause and ask like what did they say and what is the truth and how can i answer that question but my gut instinct is to just like um <laughs> go for someone's neck and murder them because i'm a pretty good argue I'm, I'm i'm good at forming an argument and i know that i can like yeah like i know that in a lot of ways i can come out on top but the reality and my experience that i've learned is like that's not always relationally great if i just like you know, sort of hammer people down until they have to admit that my argument is better than theirs. That's not always like the right thing to do, but it does come out of shame. So it would be great here if we had some other numbers to bounce this off of. Yeah, for sure. Because I feel like you brought further understanding in that you agree that like the the spotlight, the mechanism elicits something negative from you at first. Yeah. And then I heard you say, but I've done work to help me arrest that. So that I can give an even-handed response to what might be a good question. Yeah. Right. So my my el- my question then was going to like okay let's do the algebra though, and then apply that same thing to the cancel culture. Mm-hmm. So, but I think I can reframe my question based on what you said though. Okay. I do think you respond better to cancel culture than I do, mm-hmm. both personally now that you've been called out, but um, but like just as a whole person. As a okay yeah. Um, I wonder, though, what we have in common, and I suspect what everybody has in common, is nobody responds well instinctively to being called out initially. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. So why do we culturally think that this is going to bring about the result we're hoping for? Because I think, if, like, here's a compliment. I think the self-work you've done, like, if we we're going to look at it as America's statistical whole, you're probably in that 5% minority, maybe smaller than that. That is willing to arrest the critique, mm-hmm. sit with it before they respond. Yeah. Um, I do. It's very interesting. I do find a lot of your questions have to do with like efficiency, right? It's like so you're saying like, why are we doing this? It, it doesn't seem to be an efficient way. Well, it may be efficient for me. There's two other categories. One is, does it work? Right. Like, I mean, we agreed in the the cancel culture episode that. 
calling out power is probably the best mechanism of cancel culture that can't otherwise be called out. Right. Like that, we agreed. And I stick stick with that. But like as a Christian, and I think we said this too, I don't want just the critique. I want the redemption of everybody. Right. Um, and also just like in terms of an individual, take religion out of it. I just don't think it's going to garner the kind of response I'm hoping for. Yeah. Um. So maybe to your fishing thing, yeah, I don't want just somebody to be knocked out of power. I want change. Right. And I think the problem with our country now is it may knock somebody out of power, but a different, just as ugly kind of power will take that power. Yeah. Until it's called out. Yeah. I think, um, yeah, and I don't know that it is the most effective way, but I do think sometimes it's the only way, you know? Yeah. Um, Especially if you are somebody who doesn't have a lot of power. I think a question worth asking is like, I always think a question worth asking is like, is this my, my business? Do you know what I mean? Like, I think sometimes people start, um, calling people out. I mean, I think it's a really interesting question as far as like celebrities go is like, is this my business to call this person out? If I'm a fan and they are, uh, you know, an artist, like, is it my business to call them out or is it the business of people in their life? Um, What's your answer to that? I don't. I think it probably. Because um, I would say like ninety nine percent of the time, the answer to that question is gonna be no for me. I think yeah. I think it probably is dependent from uh, situation to situation, right? If this is a, a male singer and it's like it has come forward that um, he, you know, multiple women have come forward and said like I was a fan at a concert and he took advantage of me Mm -hmm. then it's like yeah at some point it does become a cultural responsibility like a social responsibility but i think um i think a a lot of times we want to call people out instead of doing self-work for ourselves that's my thing so i do think for again the purposes of rebuking power that won't otherwise be rebuked we do need the kind of the mass critical voice but like in terms of real change that's going to not just get them out of power, but help them become the kind of person I want them to become. Mm-hmm. That pool of people is probably very small. Mm-hmm. And yeah. um, like when I think about me, you as pastors, mm-hmm. like it used to be that that might have been one of the roles in culture historically where they got to call it a lot of people because of the permission given to that role. Right. But even that has dwindled to now where like just because I'm a pastor, people don't care. Right. I don't get to call out people just. So I have a group, I can think of, five to seven people that if they like sternly rebuked me mm-hmm. and put me in that shame spot, that there's a chance that the outcome could be good. That it would be meaningful enough yeah. for you that you would take it and think about it and make some changes potentially. And that those five, seven people, that's like hard one relationship. Yeah. And for, I think is a, I'm not a therapist, but from that angle, that number should not be much larger in anybody's life. Right. Right. I think, yeah, I've heard. I mean, maybe it's 20 if you're, I don't know. But, you know, it shouldn't be. Well, but I think I'm always fascinated by the way people. (laughs) I just don't think of myself as a person who holds much authority in other people's lives. Um, But I'm always fascinated. I'll get a phone call from someone saying, and it's like, they want to know what my advice is. Do you know what I mean? Or they... Or they think the words that I say are 
they are meaningful. They hold weight for them. And I'm just always like, that is so crazy. And some of it is because I function in their life as pastor, you know? Hmm. And, um, well, and every once in a while I will have somebody just sit down and say, kind of tell me what to do or yeah. tell me if I'm wrong. And even it's sometimes people I don't know very well, right. but because in their life, right. Yeah. But even those people, I don't then take advantage of, of that. I'm like, well, let's think about that. Why do you want me to? Exactly. That's what, right? Because it's not healthy for me to not know them well and try to prescribe something to them. Yeah. yeah, I find in those conversations, I'm always being like, I mean, I can't prescribe this for you, but we can talk through it. Right. And da, 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 da. Um, so. It would be interesting to have somebody from the gut triad and the thinking triad respond to the call out. Yeah. moment and hear what they have to say well because uh, well it's very interesting because last week we were talking about like responsibility and I think we were talking about when I hurt my dog's foot and yeah. you but you it was like an aggressive number thing like because right. Kathleen was like where I could relate to her here. yeah and so I wonder yeah there's harmonic similarities there's yeah. um, what do you call that uh, stance similarities yeah. There, yeah so I just wonder what it would be so interesting to hear Well, that yeah, because I immediately said somebody from the gut triad, and I thought of your sister. Yeah. And I can just imagine somebody calling out at eight. <laughs> I don't yeah. think they'd respond well either, but for a much different reason. You know what's so interesting is I think me and Kathleen, well, she just is so crazy. I feel like I say this all the time, but she's like such a healthy eight. And it's like, I think our responses are like sort of similar. But I think that, and then sometimes she'll tell me what she was thinking if we had an argument or something. And I'm like... That is insane because it is like I couldn't even have guessed that you would be thinking that. Do you know? Yeah. Um, so it, it would just would be really interesting to hear, yeah, the other triads talk about shame and how they experience it. Because I can think of a few people that it's like they don't care what other people say to them. So they probably, I don't think they experience much shame yeah. in the way that we might experience it, you know? Yeah. So. Well, anyhow, um, this is my nephew coming over, yeah. and he's coming over because we're supposed to leave for Frisbee. Yeah. So we can do this. Let's make a commitment to doing this in the new year sometime. Okay. And to continue this, maybe we can do a little research and get some shame perspective from some numbers outside of our yes. our stance. Be Not so our stance, our triad. triad. Yeah. Okay, well, Taylor, Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas. and a Happy New Year. Yeah. It's been so much fun. This podcast has been one of the delights and joys for me in 2020. Yeah. It really has been. So thanks for being my co-host. Of course. Thanks to you.